Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hosea. That's in the Old Testament. It's there, I promise. Um, Hosea chapter number 10 this morning. The book of Hosea chapter number 10. I have to warn you, uh, there is nothing holding me back this morning. Here I am. Uh, So I could end up sitting next to you for all I know, all right? No. Uh, Hosea chapter number 10, thank you for being so patient with us through this whole construction process and uh, thank you for our praise team uh, uh, members and our praise band for uh, uh, being patient with us as we get everything prepared and put back. Um, uh, Lord willing, maybe by next Sunday we'll be able to have everybody back um, on stage and that would be great. But, um, you know, I'm just excited about what the Lord is doing. I'm excited that uh, uh, we're seeing uh, growth. I'm excited that we're seeing uh, uh, people saved, people baptized, and it's just, uh, it's just an exciting place to be at. And, uh, you know, we have a big Sunday coming on February the 7th, our Super Bowl of Friends Sunday, and I know many of you are already inviting your friends, and we're excited about that day. Um, but I, I, for the next three weeks, I want to speak to you on the subject of awakening, awakening. And uh, I, I, I have a real burden in my heart today, and, and I'll, I'll share it with you over the next few weeks that if we're ever going to see God move in our area, if we're ever going to see God uh, uh, do something, then we are the ones that have to be awakened. We are the ones that have to take the next step. We're the ones that have to say, you know what, I'm going to allow revival to begin inside of me. I'm going to uh, uh, allow revival to begin sparking in me. You know, Uh, We could go back through the years, and many of you sitting here uh, could even testify to times in in your life that you've seen great revival take place, and and, and you've been revived, and and you've been a part of revivals maybe uh, even within West Carrollton Baptist Church and North Point Baptist Church, and and you've seen uh, God do amazing things. Can I tell you something this morning that I am very passionate about and that I believe with all my heart? God has not changed. God has not changed. The spark, the revival, and the things that surround it all have to do with us. It does not have to do with a time and a place. It doesn't have to do with an environment. It has to do with the people of God. Because I remind you that the church are not these four walls. The church are the people that have walked in this morning. And you either come here and you bring revival or, or, or you just come and you, and you make it a formality and something that you do. And I think this morning as a very laying of the foundation, if I could, for this series of messages, um, I believe that we have to, to, to make a determination, that we have to make a proclamation, that we have to make a, a, a commitment within our hearts that we're going to say, listen, it is now time, now is the time, the time is at hand that we allow revival, we allow the spark, we allow the awakening to begin right inside of us. And then when it begins inside of us, just like a wildfire, it will spread. And uh, so that's my challenge to you this morning. Now, I'm going to be honest with you today. Uh, The message that I'm about to preach to you and speak to you on is probably not going to be one of those everybody's going to jump up and start running and excited. It's going to be one of those that everybody's going to be running for the door. Because I know as I was preparing this message, there were many times that I had to stop right in the middle and and I had to just say, Lord, here here I am. I, I need to talk to you about this. And of the most probably unlikely places in the Bible we find in the book of Hosea, chapter number 10, 
uh, we find our passage this morning. Let me share with you, though, first, before we go there. Isaiah chapter 55, the Bible says this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto who? Let him return unto the Lord. And the Bible says, and he, the Lord, will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Look at verse number five with me, or verse number six with me again. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Why would the, why would the Bible even say that? Isn't God always around to be found? I believe with all my heart that as a Christian, if we're not cautious, that there will come a time in our lives that if we quench the Spirit, if we tell the Spirit no, if we, if we say, I- I'm not going to do what God has asked me to do, I'm not going to allow God to speak to my heart, then I believe there may come a time, if we're not very careful, according to the Word of God, that our hearts will be hardened. And, and, and that we will no longer have the desire to seek the Lord. And that he may not even be found in our lives anymore. You say, Pastor, does that mean I lose my salvation? Absolutely not. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But there's that relationship with him. There's that camaraderie with him that you want to have with the Holy Spirit of God. Ian Bounds said it this way. To look back upon the progress of the divine kingdom upon earth is to review revival periods, which has come like refreshing showers upon dry and thirsty ground, making the desert to blossom as the rose, and bringing new eras of spiritual life and activity, just when the church had fallen under the influence of apathy of the times. And I believe with all my heart that if we're not careful, we can become apathetic, because our world has become apathetic when it comes to God. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but he's right there, so I've got to do it. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how more ungodly and, and how more, uh, 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 literally, and I don't know any other way to say this, but, but I, I think Hollywood is, is, is beginning to creep on a line that there is no return from. And I'm telling you right now, I am disgusted by it. I can't, even, I can't even turn on my own regular television without them talking about shows that they're depicting Satan himself. I'm telling you, that's not revival. What that is, is that's apathy. Because the Christians are allowing it to happen. And on top of that, we're watching it. And I'm telling you right now, that is just a sign of an apathetic Christian that says, listen, it's okay, we just have to accept it. Listen, my God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he changeth not. And listen, church, we need to rise up. We need to say it's time to rise up. It's time to awaken ourselves. We need to have revival. There needs to be revival that is, that, is, that is wanting inside of us and a fire that's inside of us to want that type of revival. Ian Bounds go on and he says this, There is a need of great revival of spiritual life, of truly fervent devotion to our Lord Jesus, of entire consecration to his service. It is only, listen to this, it is only in a church in which the spirit of a revival has at least begun that there is any hope of radical change in the relation of the majority of Christian people to mission work. It's got 
to start within us. I believe the book of Hosea is a great launching pad, or excuse me, launching pad for the idea of revival, because I believe with all my heart, revival begins with me. Revival begins with me. You say, you pastor? No, I'm talking about all of us. You read that statement to yourself. I believe that revival begins with us. Revival begins with me and my relationship with God. Hosea's name means salvation. He was the prophet, just to give you a little bit of background, of the northern kingdom. And he wept over their sins, as did Jeremiah over Judah's sins. Hosea is perhaps the strangest book in all the Bible the Lord told Hosea in chapter 1 and chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 2, to take thee unto, unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. In this instance, Hosea could feel exactly how the Lord is, was feeling as his people were cheating on him with false idols and worshipers. Hosea told, or God told Hosea to take unto him his wife Gomer. And Gomer, I know that's not what you've named your children, but that's what she was named. Um, Gomer, unfortunately, was a lady that, uh, uh, that delved into adultery. She delved, in, delved into fornication. Uh, uh, she was very much involved in sexual sins. And, and of all the people that Hosea, the prophet Hosea, that God would tell him to take us to a wife... It would certainly, in our mind, not be Gomer. But that's who God told Hosea to take as a wife. Because now Hosea would understand as an alliteration what God was feeling as Gomer would cheat on Hosea and as the, the, the nation of Israel and Judah would cheat on God with idol worship and with other things. And I would dare say that in our own lives, if we're not careful and we're not cautious, we will find ourselves, even ourselves, cheating on God. We will allow things to get in front of, of, of God in our lives. We will allow things to, to, to literally take over ourselves where literally God can no longer be seen. You say, Pastor, aren't you preaching to the wrong crowd? We're all in church this morning. Listen to me. Uh, uh, church is not the radical difference in our lives. The radical difference in our lives is the fact that we are continuing a sanctification process that God has instituted into our lives. And it's our choice because God is not going to force us, just like he doesn't force his hand of salvation, that God, God is not going to force us to, to continue to be sanctified. That is our choice. We make the choice of whether or not we are going to continue to live for God or we're going to live in an apathetic state. And we need, to, we need to rise up and we need to decide. There needs to be a stirring within us that says, listen, I'm no longer satisfied with where I'm at, but now I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to see God move. I'm ready to see God do something in my life. However, Hosea worked really hard at his marriage. And even though his wife, Gomer, committed adultery against him, he brought her back out of the market. This is a perfect example of God's love toward us as sinners. He saved us out of a life of disgust. Then we go astray. And I'm thankful that 1 John 1, 9 is still in my Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a reference to those that are saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive. Forgive. That brings us to chapter number 10 where, our, where we're at this morning. Israel is in distress and going into captivity. They have much ingratitude in their lives. However, the Lord is once again going to offer hope and relief if they 
will receive it. If you have your Bibles, if you'll stand with me, the book of Hosea, chapter number 10. We're just going to read a couple of verses. Hosea, chapter number 10, verse number 12. Hosea, chapter 10, and verse number 12. The Bible says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Here's my launching pad thought this morning. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Verse 13. Ye have plowed wickedness. Ye have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because thou distrust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Verse 12 again. Sow to to yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. Lord, I know that Many times we come to this place and there are so many exciting things from the Word of God that we're able to share. We're encouraged and we're strengthened. But today there's a, there's a different path to be paved. There's a different route to be taken. And God, I pray right now more than anything that in the very quietness of this hour that the Holy Spirit of God will roam from chair to chair from aisle to aisle, from seat to seat. And Lord, that you will begin right now speaking to our hearts and helping us to know what it is that we need to do in the spirit, in the awakening of revival. Lord, I know within my own heart and in my own soul, I just want to see Carroll County. I want to see Carrollton. I want to see all the surrounding counties. Begin to see a spark, begin to see a fire within the people of North Point Baptist Church. Not for this building's sake, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Lord, that we'll see a moving and we'll see an excitement. We want people to see who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that that is our prayer. I pray that that is our hope. But Lord, if there is something this morning that needs to be addressed... Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will work in our hearts. Lord, bless the few moments that we have together. We love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes, on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline. Breaking up the fallow ground. You say, Pastor, what is fallow ground? Well, fallow ground is is defined as this is ground that has been plowed and ready for sowing, but then is withheld and allowed to lie useless and unproductive. God, through his prophet, had to rebuke his people, not only because they had left their uh, prepared ground unused, but because they were actually sowing their seeds on thorn-choked ground. That is, they were turning to idols and forsaking God. It's a fallow ground would be as you're driving along the interstates and you begin to look over to your right and to your left in and, and farm country and you begin to see fields and, and at once it looks like maybe corn was growing there or some other type of uh, vegetable or fruit was growing in that field and now it's just covered with thorns and covered with thistles and, and it's really unproductive. At one point in its life, man, if you'd have drove by that field, it would have looked beautiful. It would have been a, 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 a wonderful yellow 
rainbow. It would have been a beautiful corn stalks. And, and we'd have probably been like, wow, look how gorgeous that is. But now you drive by it and you look and it's nothing but dead. It's just, it looks like death over there. And we think to ourselves, why in the world would a farmer allow that land to go desolate? Why would he allow that land to grow up with thorns? That is fallow ground. Once was profitable, but no longer is. And can I tell you, the only way that it will ever become profitable again is if it's plowed. Now, can I tell you something as a Christian, if we put that into the spiritual realm, plowing is never fun. Right? When God begins to to turn the soil over, you know, when God begins to work in our hearts and our lives and we realize that there are some thorns, there are some thistles, there are some things that are in our lives that shouldn't be there. And God begins to turn that ground over. Listen, when that earth begins to move and that, that, that farmer begins to look, you know, he, he's plowing ahead, he's plowing ahead. And I'll imagine as that farmer makes that first turn around and he begins to look and he sees that beautiful soil again, he says it's almost time to plant. It's almost time to see this ground do something again. I would dare say, unfortunately, that there are probably many Christians that have become fallow in their lives. They've tried to, to, have tried to replant, and it's literally just choking by the thorns and the thistles, or the thistles rather, that are around them. You say, Pastor, what's the illusion? And please understand that I, I say this with all compassion and all love in my heart, but I'm afraid that we have people uh, in our churches all across America that are showing themselves as Christians, that are saying that they are, and, and they're putting on this wonderful show, but deep down, rooted inside, there's all kind of sin and disgust in their lives. Listen, and please don't get mad at me, but this this is the honest truth. We have got to stop fooling uh, ourselves. We have got to stop saying that, hey, the the sin that's in my life is okay. God will look past it. God's okay with it because, honestly, it's not as bad as my neighbor's. Boy, Pastor, have you seen my neighbor? Listen, listen, uh, my dad used to say this to me all the time, sweep around your own doorstep before you go sweeping around other people's, right? Listen, we, we've got to come to a place in our lives where we, c- we can no longer, and I want you to really get this, we no longer justify our sin. But instead we say, I'm no longer going to allow this to be something that chokes me, something that makes me fallow. In my life, the expression break up your fallow ground means that you do not sow your seed among the thorns or break off all your evil. You should break off all your evil habits, clear your hearts of weeds in order that it may be prepared for the seed of righteousness. Land was allowed to lie fallow that it might become more fruitful. But when in this condition, it soon becomes overgrown with thorns and weeds. The cultivator of the soul was careful to break up his fallow ground, to clear the field of weeds before sowing in it. So says the prophet Hosea. I believe that this passage of scripture can apply to us even today, and I'm going to be quick here. There are many times in our lives that we end up right where the northern kingdom finds itself. We become fallow in our lives. We have been serving God so long that we forgot the reason that we began serving him in the very first place. Today, I just want to share with you from my heart that I believe with all my heart that we as a church 
and you as an individual, starting right here with the person that's speaking to you, can begin a new revival, can we have a new spark, have a new awakening. This morning when I walked in <clears throat> and people began to arrive, I can't tell you how many people came to me and said, Pastor, Pastor, tell me what's happening. Tell me how it's going to all look. Pastor, how are we going to get up there? That was a good question. Somebody suggested that we put like small trampolines and the choir comes running down. And they... <laughs> You know, lots of questions. You know why? Because something new is happening. It's changing a little bit. It, there's a new excitement. There's a, there's a fire. I, I, I posted pictures on Facebook, and people, some people that, that do not even regularly attend our church said, I'm coming to see it. <laughs> well, come on. Bring somebody with you, you know? Something new is happening. Listen, that can be the same way it is in our lives. When we make that decision, you know what? Today, I'm going to break up that fallow ground. Today, I'm going to change it. There'll be a new excitement in your life. There'll be a new fervor in your life. There'll be a reason that you have maybe have forgotten as to why we are even serving the Lord. To break up the fallow ground is to break up your hearts, to prepare your minds, to bring forth fruit unto God. Sometimes our hearts get matted down and hard and dry until there is no such thing as getting fruit from them, until they are broken up and mellowed down and fitted to the world. It is this softening of the heart so as to make it feel the truth, which the prophet calls, break up your fallow ground. That's what Charles Finney says. Number one, if you have your bulletins and you want to take notes, what makes us have fallow ground? What is the, what is the roots of it all? Why, why do we end up having fallow ground in our lives? Jeremiah 4.3, the only other place in the word of God where this phrase, fallow ground, is used. Jeremiah says this, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among the thorns. What makes us have fallow ground? First of all, we sow sparingly. We sow sparingly. You say, Pastor, what does that even mean? What does it mean that we, we sow sparingly? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6, the Bible says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also, re or excuse me, shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully what does that word sparingly mean well it actually means stingily meaning that you you, you sow stingily uh, as people we become stingy of things that mean the most to us when we were first saved we wanted to be involved in every area of ministry that we could possibly do and now that we've been at it for some time we tend to get a little stingy we tend to get a little hey you know what I, we're gonna let the younger people do that one you ever heard somebody say that i love it we're gonna let the younger ones do that careful there brother ronnie we're going to let the younger ones do that. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that a baby likes to be held by someone young, but they love to be held by a grandma. Oh, pastor, now you're telling us to go work in the nursery? <laughs> listen, listen, I, I, I don't know anyone that's sitting under my voice that can't do something for God. We all have that ability. This past week, I went to my mailbox, opened my mailbox, and uh, in the midst of all the bills was a card. 
I pulled the card out and I opened it up. This is And on the front of it, there was nothing but a nice little picture. I opened up the inside of it and someone had written me a card to tell me how much they love me and how they appreciate me. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. That does more for me than if you handed me a $50 bill. Because at the very moment that I needed it the most, there it was. And it came from somebody within our church that is not able to do a lot physically because of their health. But they sat at home with their pen, and it probably took them quite a while. And they wrote that little note, and they dropped it in the mailbox. And they sent it to my mailbox. Don't tell me that you can't do something for God. Everything is important. Don't get stingy in your life. What do we get stingy of? First of all, we get stingy with our time. We get stingy with our time. I, I tell you, I, I was blessed yesterday as we began to begin this project. And the men that came out and, and, a, and a couple of ladies that came out to help us to be able to work on this. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the only thing I know how to do is for somebody to tell me, hey, hand me that hammer. Go get that piece of plywood. Because they were up here yesterday, and I thought we were having a speaking in tongues moment. They started rattling off all these numbers. We need 48 4 by 2s and, and 6 by 8s and uh, cut it 42 and a half and, oh, no, no, 42 and 3 quarters. And we need 42 of the... <laughs> but they knew what they were talking about. I didn't have a clue. But you know what? If these men decided to be stingy with their time, we would not have the excitement that brewed through this place this morning when you arrived. They used their talents for the Lord Jesus Christ. I said yesterday to one of them, I said, boy, I wish I knew how to do this. And they looked at me and said, you just keep doing what you're doing. We'll do what we're doing, all right? <laughs> That's a good plan right there. You know, but I'm just telling you, don't be stingy with the time that we have. We all have the same amount of time in our lives. And we choose whether or not to give that time. We choose whether or not to say, I'm going to give God some of this time. And, and I'm not just talking about coming and sitting in a service. I'm talking about actually putting your service into practice and serving the Lord. Why? Because Ephesians 5.16 says that we need to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. What does that word redeem mean? It means to buy back. Redeeming the time. Not only that, sometimes we get stingy not only with our time, but with our temple, with our temple, with ourselves. You know, we have to be very cautious about this. And I want you to listen to me. Many of you have many wonderful talents that God has given to you. Don't be stingy with your temple. Don't be stingy with it. Don't say, well, I'm not as good as so-and-so. Well, I don't think that it, I, I, I'm not as good as this person over here. I don't think I'll do it as well as this person over here. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real transparent with you. That the honest truth is, is that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of preachers that are standing in the pulpit all across America and all across the world today that are 100,000 times better than I could ever want to be. And if we decided that we are going to look at other people and compare ourselves as to whether or not we're going to serve the Lord, then the honest truth of it is we all just need to go home. 
Because I tell my son all the time, my oldest son, he, I tell him all the time, there is always, there is always going to be someone that's better than you. There's always going to be somebody better than you. But here's the choice. It's whether or not we decide to use what God has given to us. God is not looking for the most talented people in the world. And I'm very thankful for that. You know what God's looking for is he's looking for people that are available to do it. That are willing to do it. Listen, don't be afraid to stand in this, sit in, or stand in this pulpit and sing. Don't be afraid to get over here and play an instrument. Don't be afraid to go out and serve God and teach and do other things in our church. Don't be stingy of your temple. You say, why, pastor? Here's the honest truth. Ye know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You don't own yourself. God has given you exactly what you need for this life. What makes us fallow ground, have fallow ground, secondly of all, sometimes we sow to society. We're worried about what other people think. We're concerned about the people around us and the society in which we're a part of. Hosea 10, 13 says, you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies. Because thou didst trust in thy way, and then he says this, in the multitude of thy mighty men. You see that? You've plowed wickedness, you've reaped iniquity, you have, re uh, you have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way, and you trusted in the multitude of the mighty men. I want you to listen to me, church. There is only one person that I have to answer to in my life, and that is God. I do not have to answer to anyone else when it comes to whether or not I did what God wanted me to do. Society should not dictate anything in our lives. You say, Pastor, we all want acceptance. We all want to be accepted by society, but if we're not careful, that acceptance can come at a cost. We not need to worry about the acceptance of society because the Bible tells us that, that if God accepts us, if we are acceptable in his sight, then that is what matters. That's what matters. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, Galatians tells us. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Hosea 8, 7 says, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind, it hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. If so it be yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. Don't sow to society. Our flesh is like a flower. We have a flesh side and we have a spiritual side. Whichever flower you feed the most is the one that will be victorious in your life. I'm going to tell you something that's the honest truth. You can hide this from anyone you can hide the sin and the iniquity in your life. And you can make it seem like everything is great. And everything is wonderful. But you cannot hide anything from God. The Bible tells us that we are naked in the sight of God. 
listen to me, church. In order to experience renewed revival in our life, it is going to take a cleansing. It is going to take a renewal. It is going to take a fresh start. It is going to take an awakening. Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, because here's the truth. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak. No matter how you look at it, your flesh will always be weak. But we have to make it strong through the word of God. So how do we do that? Well, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. I give it all to him. And then some of us so to stony ground if we're not cautious in our life. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 5. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because... It had no, what's the next word? I love that word. It had no depth. Listen, as Christians, we should strive to have depth in our lives. We should strive to be rooted. We should strive to, 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 to have a, a deep root system so that when problems come and issues come and the winds of everything begin to change in our lives, that we remain rooted in the word of God and rooted in what he wants us to do. Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they had heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately they are offended. In other words, they're done. So the question is, how do we break up the fallow ground? And I promise you I'm going to be quick and I'll be done. How do we break up the fallow ground? We, we've seen it. So how do we accomplish it? First of all, we have to seek the Lord. We have to seek the Lord. The Bible says, seek the Lord and he shall be found. It, my, my children over the last week, my, my two youngest ones, they have found a game. It's called hide and seek. And they don't want to play by themselves. They want dad to play. So dad comes in from, work, from, from being at work all day and, and, and visiting and doing all kinds of stuff and walk in the door. And uh, my, my, uh, my Samuel and Matt and I, they'll run up and say, Daddy, Daddy, they'll give me a hug. Let's play hide and seek. You hide and I'll pray about it. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I promise. Um, and so we get together and we start hiding. Well, one of them counts. Now, here's the interesting part. The other one always wants to hide with me. <laughs> they don't want separate hiding spots. They want to hide with Dad. So we go, and you know how the counting goes, especially with my little Matt and I. One, two, twenty. Ready or not, here I come. You know, and so we go, me, we go and we hide, and... Of course, they can't keep quiet, so it's even that much more fun, you know. And next thing you know, somebody's found you, and they're screaming, you know, and it's great. You know, the truth is, is that God does not hide from us. The word seek there in the Greek and in the Hebrew literally means that we 
take the action to go after God. It's not that he's hiding. It's that we are taking the action to go seek him, to find him, to talk to him, to have a relationship with him. Because God is not going to stop you in the midst of your life and say, okay, we got to talk. It is us initiating it with God. So what do we have to do to break up that fallow ground? The first thing we got to do is we got to seek the Lord. We got to go find him. We got we to search him out. We got to go to where he's at. Hosea chapter number 10. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. How long? Till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, this is under the law. This is under the Old Testament. If I could translate that, if it was said again in the Greek and in the New Testament, this is what it would say. And, and for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes again. It is a constant moment in our lives. When should we seek him? We should seek him early. We should seek him early. The Bible says in Psalm 63, 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. It's a seeking of God. And then we need to seek him every day. Seek him early and seek him every single day. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Seek him early. Seek him every day. Then sow to the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh. Sow to the Spirit. We've read this verse. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Do what it is that God has called you to do. Please never forget we are our lives to the Lord because he gave his life for us. And then lastly, submit yourself to the Lord. Submit yourself to the Lord. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Many people want to just take that second part of that verse. They say, if I just resist the devil, he'll flee from me. No, there's got to be a submission first. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit is defined as to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, then Peter and the apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. I'm going to close with this. This is a little bit lengthy, but it's going to be on the screen. And I'm going to say it out loud and read it out loud to you. But when I read this by A.W. Tozer, he shares some convicting thoughts concerning the fallow ground and fruitful ground. This is really when, for me, now it just may be me, but for me, it really just opened up this subject in my life immensely. And as I read, I want you to just listen, and you can read along, and then we're going to pray. But I want you to, as you do this, to evaluate your life and where you're at. Is there fallow ground in your life? Have you found yourself at a place where it's become unproductive and unfruitful. Maybe you're not even sure why you're still serving the Lord. Maybe you've been doing it for so long, it's just something that you do. You just come to church because that's what you're supposed to do. 
And it's no longer a spark. It's no longer revival. It's no longer an excitement. It's just something that you feel is mandatory. Could I ask you to read along as I read along? And just think to yourself, where do I find myself in all this? He says this, there are two kinds of ground. Fallow ground and ground that has been broken up by the plow. The fallow ground is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of a ripening grain. Fruits it can never know, because it is afraid of the plow and the hetero. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of the machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised. And broken. But its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight. Its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age old and ever renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered into the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. The man of a fallow life is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. He smiles in tolerance, superiority at revivals, fasting, self-searching, and all the travail of fruit-bearing and the anguish of advance. The spirit of adventure is dead within him. He is steady, faithful, always in his accustomed place just like the old field, conservative and something of a landmark in the little church, but he is fruitless. The plowed life is the life that has, in the act of repentance, thrown down the protecting fences and sent the plow of confession into the soul, the urge of the spirits, the pressure of the circumstances, and the distress of the fruitless living have combined thoroughly to humble, uh, humble the, cert, the heart. Such a life has put away defense and has forsaken the safety of death for the peril of life. Discontentment, yearning, contrition, courageous obedience to the will of God. These have bruised and broken the soil till it is ready again for the seed. And as always, fruit follows the plow. Life and growth Begin as God rains down righteousness. Such a one can testify, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there. The power of God comes only where it is called out by the plow. It is released into the church only when she is doing something that demands it. By the word doing, it does not mean mere activity. The church has plenty of hustle as it is. But in all her activities, she is very careful to leave her fallow ground mostly untouched. She is careful to confine, confine her hustling within the fear-marked boundaries of complete safety. That is why she is fruitless. She is safe, but fallow. The only way to power for such a church 
is to come out of hiding and once more take the danger encircled path of obedience. Its security is its deadliest foe. The church that fears the plow writes its own epitaph. The church that uses the plow walks in the way of revival. So the question is, is where do you find yourself today? Are you fallow or are you fruitful? Are you wanting revival in your life or are you content? May we be desired to be awakened in our lives. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?